Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, joined once again by Danny Meringue. Danny, I feel like it's been forever since we've talked to each other. Yeah, it's because it has been. You're going to get a couple weeks off, head into the summer, everybody just kind of disappears and waits for the Warriors to fall apart. Usual things. (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, before we go on, I want to introduce our other guests that we have today. We are joined by Mike Richman, uh, NBC Sports Northwest beat writer and host of the Locked On Blazers podcast. Mike, welcome to the Blazers Edge podcast. Thanks for having me. We are glad. Dan and I were talking a little bit before the we started recording about how suddenly there's a lot of time that we didn't have just a couple of months ago. How are you uh, spending your extra time? Or do you have extra time? Maybe you've got other endeavors that are just kicking off right now. Uh, I have some other endeavors, but uh, I, I feel, feel like I have a lot more free evenings nowadays um, with, mm-hmm. no, uh, with no Blazer world. Uh, I'm doing normal things. I like, you know, I mowed my lawn today. Uh, I, I went to, I went to the mechanic, you know, normal, normal things that you can't do when the season is very busy. You're, you're adulting. Yeah. I guess you can, I mow my lawn during the season. I don't want to give the impression that it's a jungle, but, but the other, the other errands are more difficult. To <laughs> the fact that you had to clarify that to make sure that all of the listeners of the pod know that you are a, uh, well, high quality you know, I don't want to paint a specific <laughs> picture of my jungle home that I live in. <laughs> I want to find the one person who was like, did he say he doesn't do it during the season? He said, I think he did say that. Hey, you guys, that, guys are astute listeners. You guys have a have a, a that is crack true. smart. There is not much that gets past the folks who listen to the <laughs> this Blazers podcast. Brought by ProGrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I have, have followed your work for a little while now, Mike. But I don't really know much about you. So I'm wondering, do you mind telling us a little bit about how you came to where you are right now? What your interest in sports was, and how you got there? Sure. Um, so I grew up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, which is, uh, the, you know, greatest college basketball city in the world. Apologies to Lawrence, Kansas and literally nowhere else. But, um, so I grew up walking to Carolina games. Uh, and when I was a kid, it was, uh, Jerry Stackhouse and Rasheed Wallace and then Vince Carter and Anton Jameson. Uh, and then some other guys in the two thousands that aren't as famous, but, uh, Shout out to Joe Forte. And um, so I I just became basketball is like such a rich part of my life as a kid. So it was always something that I loved. Uh, I went to school out in Portland, Oregon, Lewis and Clark College, one of the best colleges in Southwest Portland. And uh, (laughs) top two for sure. (laughs) Definitely top top two. Um, So I and I like worked on the college newspaper, sort of classic uh, young journalism things. And I started interning at Oregon Live my senior year of college, and I worked there for about a decade, eight, eight, eight or so years. Uh, and I started out covering high school sports for a long time. And then there was just it, uh, working for a modern day newspaper. There is a lot of changeover that happens very quickly. So suddenly, uh, basically overnight, I was a high school sports reporter, and then I was the number two on uh, uh, the Blazers beat. Uh, really I was number three because Jason quick was still at the O and, um, he's prolific. And so there was no way I was going to leapfrog him. But, uh, so yeah, I covered the blazers. My first year was LaMarcus Aldridge's last season with the blazers. So my first summer was a summer of, of change, but I had done some other blazery stuff in the Brandon Roy era and and like pre dame draft and things like that. But that is how I ended up here. Uh, I stopped working at the Oregonian last January and I have spent one season working for NBC Sports. What are some of the early like memories that you're like, oh, I'm covering the NBA now? Did you ever have any moments like that, or was it just kind of like a seamless introduction to the NBA? Uh, you know, it's pretty normal. Uh, it helps that like Damian Lode is a pretty normal person, so it, there aren't like a lot of hoops to jump through to talk to the most famous person in the locker room type of thing. Um, early on, maybe it was like getting somebody, I don't know specifically, but like having Thomas Robinson's phone number in my phone was probably like, Ooh, I mean, I cover the NBA now. Uh, Cause I was 26. I got on the beat. Um, so that was still very cool to me. Um, I don't think T Rob ever returned a single one of my text messages. So, you know, what are you gonna do? 
But you had his number in your phone, so yeah, I could. I mean, who knows? I had a number called. I had a number labeled T Rob. He never got me back. He gave me the phone number and never responded. So you know, oh, you got ghosted by T Rob. Well, I mean, <laughs> what are you gonna do? <laughs> you, I just imagine you shooting you up texts now, trying to get a story. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, I don't know where he is. But. <laughs> you know what? You know where he is? He's in Utah at their free agent workout. Oh, good. Good for I, him. I, I literally just saw him and a couple other guys that have been out of the league a few years uh, were down there the other day. So he's he's still uh, he's still trying. Time just caught up with T. Rob extremely fast. It was like there's no undersized power forwards in the league if you can't shoot anymore. It's like as soon as he got into the league, that position didn't exist. Poor guy. Yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed him while he was here. But 360 I, I drops, that spins. <laughs> I get Same it. You know, I, those those days where it was just like T. Rob and Will Barton dunking all over everything. That that was pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. But we have the, a very different uh, team the, to watch now. <laughs> the 2011, 2012, 13, 2013 highlight where T. Rob gets the block and then they go the other way and Wes Matthews throws the oop to Will Barton. It's an all time. You know, it's one of the great plays of the last. Decade. Well, so you started the summer that Lamarcus left, and that they had all those new players. Yes. Wow, that must have that been was my like first off. <laughs> everyone after that probably felt like pretty quiet. Would be my guess. Where does this? Yeah. Um, go ahead. Go on. Sorry. I was just going to ask you what. Where does this season kind of rank in terms of in, enjoying how you covered the team? you know, compared to other seasons? Um, I mean, this one was... The way it played out, not just like making the Western Conference Finals, but the way the playoffs played out were... Um, it was a rare, It was very cool to be able to tell those stories, you know, to be in the building and watch such an emphatic moment from, uh, from Dame in the first round and then to be back there for... Uh, uh, for game six and, and for the four overtime game and, you know, all those moments, um, that that's, uh, I, I don't know if all writers feel this way, but it's like, there's more eyes on you in the playoffs. Like you have to do a better job. So getting those moments to, to, uh, to really have to capture was, um, was super enjoyable this year, but I don't know my like overall enjoyment of the year. There's like some random years, I guess, random stories that you enjoy writing. So uh, that aren't always, uh, result related like these were. Mm-hmm. So winning, you know, got brought more eyes, but you've also had other seasons where they might not have been winning, but there was a lot of interesting stuff going on. Yeah, like just you get better. You know, this team at at the end, there were some new people to like write stories about. But this team has been the same for so long that it was like when I was around them earlier and they had different parts. uh, It was more interesting sort of get to know guys like, you know, Cayman's first year. It's like, who is this guy who's drinking milk right now? Like. 45 minutes before the game starts. Um. <laughs> Cayman. Oh, we yeah. hardly knew you. Yeah. So it's, it, it, there's, you know, the, the getting to, I think like, uh, you know, getting to know Ed Davis when he first got here and stuff like that. I remember sitting down with chief, like the first training camp that he was here. It, you know, those moments I feel like as a writer are more interesting because you, you can introduce the, the person to the fan base, to your readers or whatever. Um, and I, that's more enjoyable than like, uh, you know, the same team over and over again and writing like, are they going to overcome the sweep stories for a million times? Well, I'm glad they were able to provide you with some uh, good stuff to <laughs> to write about because it, sure. it, it was. And funny. to keep that narrative going of yeah. can they overcome the sweep? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a new flavor of sweep. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a different broom this time, I would say. <laughs> well, are you guys ready? Let's, should we turn to some uh, recent news, I guess? Um you know, there's a, a, a trickle of things happening with the Blazers still, despite that they are out of the playoffs. Uh, Damian Lord and CJ McCollum are going to go, going to be attending USA basketball training camp in August in advance of the FIBA World Cup. How should how should Blazer fans be feeling about this? Is this a like um, is this a good thing? Is this a why are they going to be risking themselves for injury? What are, What are your guys' thoughts on these guys at training camp? Well, real quick, Mike, what's more surprising that CJ got the invite or that Dame took it? Yeah, it's weird that either of them are still involved in Team USA. To me, kind yeah. of. Um, I thought Dame was really over it. Over it. 
But uh, he probably has other people in his three stripes corner that are like, dude, just please just go wear a Team USA jersey. Yeah. Um, uh, But and I think it's a little weird. CJ, you know, obviously rejected the USA select team. That's a little bit different than the the big boy team that he's going to be on this year. So so I I definitely think it's notable that they're even going to answer your question. You you think it's mostly tied to the brand? Or uh, I mean, it's all, it all is, but I mean, it's also like legacy stuff, like just in general, uh, if it, to use like a current example, like one of the things that people are pointing to with Andre Godal, like, is he a hall of famer or blah, blah, blah. It's like, he won a gold medal with team USA. It's hilarious that you, that you mentioned that because CJ asked that question, is Kyle Lowry a hall of famer? Uh, it was last night or this morning. I can't remember what it was. And Lowry's stats are incredibly similar to uh, Chauncey Billups, but the one leg up that Lowry obviously has is that that Olympic gold medal. And I think we're going to have those discussions about a lot of these fringe Hall of Fame type guys. And I think you look at that Dame playing in the Northwest and not maybe having an opportunity for a title or CJ, you know, playing behind Dame the opportunity to pick up that gold medal and you're and you have it when you're 33, 34 and you're chasing a ring. I think th- those those things probably matter, right? Yeah, it's it's a, it it has a it has a meaning for your legacy. It has a meaning for there's a there's a certain amount of pride too with like being on the Olympic team and those type of things. Um, so I think it matters, but I um, it's a pretty big like this summer would be a pretty big commitment to do it. Uh, coming off their longest playoff run that they've ever had, um, at the end of which they I mean they look tired. They look gassed. I can't really speak. They, obviously, they're not going to say that, but but from you know just watching, they look like they kind of ran out of steam because of how much uh, sort of physical and mental gas they had to burn uh, in, mm-hmm. the, in those playoff series. So I think you know if they're if they're really involved and it's five weeks at the like just before training camp, um, it's uh, it's probably a it's probably a bit more miles than uh, than just your average August workout. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, some of the teams take the the FIBA aspect of it, like some of the other teams take it real seriously. And so they're going to be. Oh, throwing... yeah, it's a big deal. And yeah, it's it's a big deal in other places. So everybody like, um... on Team USA has to be ready to win, which, you know, I feel like every year the international competition inches closer and closer. Or am I wrong about that? No, I think that's generally true. Uh, I don't think we've seen a team as good as that 2008 Spanish team in a while, but there's definitely um, th- there's there aren't all pushovers, particularly in this tournament. It's pretty good. It seems risky to me. I worry about <laughs> I worry about injury, and I worry about it being so close to the beginning of the year. Um, but I do also subscribe to the uh, conspiracy theory that these training camps are heavily are very important for recruiting. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. Um, I don't know that the Blazers will ever be involved in free agency ever again, but uh, ever again, (laughs) like it it doesn't seem to me that Damon CJ could. It doesn't seem to me that Damon CJ could be on this team requiring the type of money they want to require and literally be talking to any of their peers about joining them in any like meaningful free agent way. So you mean they are planning on a cap spike that allows them to sign a job? Yeah, like it's like. (laughs) <laughs> there's no, it's like hey we'd love to play with you brad beal i mean we we won't but it would be nice <laughs> well but these days with players asking for trades in advance of their you know time being up with a team i feel like free agency there's like another there's now like an intermediary uh thing between trades and free agency which is where somebody forces their way out and then you know they give their list of course nobody ever ends up where they're yeah very rarely only Kyrie. (laughs) i don't even think boston wasn't on his list was it oh was it not initially i'm sure it was it may have been they probably have a longer list than we ever hear about um but i don't know i just think about the, in terms of they, I think I feel like they just kind of decide whether or not they'd be interested in playing together, and then when they get back to their home teams or whatever, you know, they know like, oh, they played together, they played together. These 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 guys played together well. It just feels like one more piece of information to pile on all the other stuff that um, comes in when people are figuring out what's going to happen. You know, 
Oh, yeah. No, I, I there's intrigue there, too, because, like, players are the ones who do the most collusion and the most effective collusion. Yeah. So um, it's <laughs> fun. fun. Like, that is, it is fun to sort of, if you know, if they both end up on the roster, sort of, uh, you know, scour that behind the scenes footage to see who they're chatting with the most. Yeah. Well, another little bit of news. And Dan, do you have anything else you want to add about USA camp? No, I, I I think it's a good thing for really any of the Blazers to to get exposure. I mean, the, the last time the Blazers featured anybody on the international level of, of consequence was Clyde. Mm-hmm. So I'd be interested if any of the younger guys get invited to come to the other squad. I think that would be uh, that would be interesting. I, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody like Gary Trent got one just because of his Duke ties. Mm, mm, sure, sure. Well, moving on to the uh, next bit of news, Coach Vanderpool was hired earlier this week to be an associate head coach for the Minnesota Timberwolves. How big of a loss is this for the Blazers? Mike, you're you're around these guys. I, I would say, how much does it mean, mean to them? I would say we don't know, but it is it it's probably a big deal, like emotionally. Um, he's definitely Dame's, uh, like a legitimately good friend of Dame's. Uh, one thing you see if you go to the games early is uh, Vanderpool's kids are around, and Dame will just hang out with his son, who's probably eleven, maybe, you know, and they'll just hang out, and, you know, crack jokes on the bench. Uh, they're legitimately good friends. It's it's definitely the coach that Dame is closest with, the guy he's worked with his whole career. Um, there's one great story about uh, Vanderpool has warmed up Dame every single game except one in Sacramento, and Nate Tibbetts did it because Vanderpool was sick or something, um, and. Dame went like four for 22 and, and he just told Nate like never again, like one and done. Baby. Never again. Um, so he's going to, you know, it'll be the, whenever, you know, game one hits or whatever, it'll be the second time ever. in, in however many games that with the Blazers that he hasn't warmed up with Vanderpool. Um, I think it's an emotional loss. It's hard for me to figure out um, tactically how much, like X's and O's wise and, and, and strategy wise, any one Blazers assistant does things because uh, they, you know, they're at least their approach is like collective. They don't have like a defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator type thing. They have like a everyone get in the room and think about what we can fix. But I think it's a big deal. Um, I, I think we won't really be able to quantify what it means to Dame. But there's, you know, there's those people back there who think that Kim Hughes departure like ruined Myers Leonard's career. So um, there's some truth to it, I guess. Oh, I was just gonna say, Mike. When when you look at at the way the Blazers staff is structured and, and and kind of the culture that they've built, do you think that that plays a part into a team like Minnesota and and particularly David's relationship with Damian Lillard as to why they're they're looking to pull him to Minnesota and give him kind of that number two seat to kind of be the yeah. the whisperer for Cat and maybe Wiggins still? Yeah, exactly. And I think. He's worked with Andrew Wiggins, actually, with Team Canada um, when they were both a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Wiggins didn't go to the international competitions, but he was around the team at least at least a little bit while Vanderpool was uh, working with working with that group. Um, yeah, I think I think his um, his relationship with players definitely helps. You know, he's been a hot name on the coaching sort of assistant coaching circuit for four years. He's at least gotten a lot of interviews. Um, so I think. I think that's also what they like and moving him to sort of an associate head coach role who, you know, he has more experience than Ryan Saunders, but he doesn't like wildly outrank him in terms of years. He's not, uh, he's not the Lionel Hollins, Jason Kidd assistant. I think that uh, kind of fits the profile. <laughs> that fits the profile. That's um, going to be fun. But I mean, Saunders, according to Mark Stein, at least um, wanted to keep Sidney Lowe on his staff uh, and the, Rosas, the new GM, was just like, nah, we're, we're hiring. We want all new people. So I, I assume that Vanderpool was uh, very high on their list for a variety of reasons. I had read that Vanderpool was more of the defensive side, but you're saying that uh, there's a lot of collective coaching among all of the coaches. It seems like the the defense was something that it's been pretty the same, pretty steady same approach over all of these years, and I'm just wondering – you know, have the have the key players on the team now maybe finally figured it out enough that it wouldn't be quite such a shakeup um, without having whoever was behind that defense. But you're thinking maybe it was actually not just Vanderpool. It was everybody can kind of pick it up. Yeah, I mean, they built this with with Terry when whatever the summer of 2013, I think, is when they switched that after J.J. Hickson left. Um, and they got Rolo and they had someone who could really play defense and that's kind of, they built this, this setup. 
Um, I think what maybe Vanderpool has done, because um, the way I understand it is like, uh, you know, they split up the scouts. So each coach scouts offense and defense for who, whatever team he has. Um, and then we'll and, and then we'll go in that way as opposed to like, you know, Dave's going to do the defensive scout and Nate will have the offensive scout. Um, I'm sure that guys have specialties. That is sort of the nature of any professional world. Uh, but I don't think necessarily that David was this defensive mastermind that's going to like change things. If Nurk is healthy, they'll be a pretty good defensive team. If he's not, they'll be pretty bad. It's amazing how that works. Isn't yeah. It? It's like they have a really, they have one really important defensive player on the roster, a couple other decent ones. And uh, if those guys are in uniform, they'll have a chance. <laughs> well, we got one more bla- sort of blazer adjacent news item that maybe will take us into our next topic. And that was, that the Brooklyn Nets have traded Alan Crabb. So even though Alan Crabb has been gone for a couple of years, I think a lot of people have had their eyes on him. And in particular, um, you know, because he has that large contract, um, what might become of him. And so he's been traded to Atlanta for Torian Prince. What can Blazers fans take, if anything, from this, uh, from this transaction? I guess it gives you a range or an idea of what the range might be to move uh, a big money contract. I mean, specifically Evan Turner, because uh, they don't have anyone that really matches that. But what it would maybe take to just sort of get out from under the Evan Turner type deal would be a current first and a future first, potentially. Mm-hmm. Is that what it was? I might be mixing yeah, up the details. I, I, no, you're. I, I think you're. You're. You're right for the exchange because the. Uh, they also they got Torian Prince back in the deal plus uh, I think it was two seconds I think is what it kind of worked out to be, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I think you're right as far as like moving like that that's that's what it is it sets the bar for moving what fifteen plus million dollar contract um, requires and you have to grease it with at least a a pick of consequence and a future pick if another assets coming back in return yeah so number seventeen in a protected twenty twenty first yeah. round. So yeah, I mean that's that that seems like about what it would cost. Does that surprise? Does that seem like a, a surprising? To uh, I think this draft is considered crappy enough that guys are saying throwing away seventeen. There's there's very little chance I can get an impact player, so it's really one draft pick. That's my read on that. Yeah, realistically, like I said the other day, I've talked to to folks who have uh, one guy at 14 or 15 and I hit, and then, you know, another team has them at like 27, 28. So it's, it's one of those things where beyond the first four, maybe five guys, the, the pick is just kind of so, so, and you rather just include it if it allows you to be a player in free agency and, or uh, facilitate bigger trades in the, uh, in the coming year. Yeah. The Nets also have a bunch of young guys. Like they don't need more draft picks. They need adults. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I was thinking of it too, kind of as the, you know, the first shot, right, of the offseason. Cause I remember last year, one of the earliest moves that was made in the offseason, I think it was last year, was when Lou Williams signed his contract for like seven or eight million dollars, like yeah. something that was like shockingly low. And everyone like the was contract like, Whoa, that everyone was about. what yeah. is this going to mean? So do you, do you see this as any sort of a bellwether for anything that might happen? Well, it means the Nets are. They're getting in on the, you know, on the, market the big fish, the big, name. the big, yeah, the big fish. They're definitely, um, they're like the most competently run team of the <laughs> teams would have. I mean, maybe the, the Clippers, I think the Clippers don't have two max slots yet, but they can get there with yeah, some kind of announcing everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So they can. So it's like, you know, now, um, obviously the two other glamour franchises in America's l- largest cities have, um, their eyes on landing high caliber free agents, but like the, the actual good businesses in those, in those same cities, um, are geared up. So, um, there could be, could be a wild July. Um, I think the best case scenario for the Blazers is everybody moves to New York. Open up the Western conference. Get them out of there. Get them out of there. Clay Thompson. Welcome to New York. Kevin Durant. You too, bud. Everybody just go East, please. Well, one of the things that concerned me about that trade is that um, I, instead of trying to figure out individual players, I look at teams that the Blazers have traditionally made deals with, and the Nets is one of those teams. So I wonder, like, does this restrict the ability? Because I'm always, you know, 
considering all of the things that the Blazers need to accomplish this offseason and the limited uh, ways that they have to accomplishment, I was like, sweet. So they've got the Nets, they got the Kings, they got, um, you know, the Cavs and the Magic are like, these are the teams that they go to over and over and over again. I was like, oh, no, like the Nets have already made a move. Does that take them off the table as a potential partner for um for the Blazers, you know, in terms of because they're one of those teams that, well, I guess Atlanta was one of the teams that's supposed to be taking, um, you know, taking on big contracts. So does that cut down the Blazers ability to um, trade some of their larger contracts? Yeah, it seems like bad news that one of the teams willing to take on bad money took on the Blazers old bad money as opposed to their new bad money. Yeah. That seems like bad news for them. Like, I know whether I don't know how you, you spin it any other way. So, Mike, let's kind of transition from the the idea of what it'll cost for Portland to do that to into a bit more of the offseason stuff. From what I was able to gather, the Blazers don't want to use that first round pick and they do want to bundle it up with either Harkos or Turner. But in order to do that, they need to do it before the dead, uh, obviously before draft day to make this work. In the next, what, 11 days? Do you think the Blazers make a move kind of going into the draft to set everything else up? I, I definitely think they're going to try to. Um, you know, they uh, most of their moves have been a, sort of the smaller bargain variety ones. Uh, they haven't had a big, big splashes in a while. Um, obviously, you hear sort of the things get floated out, what almost almost happens, um, certainly after the fact. But, uh, yeah, I think they will. I don't it's hard for me to say, um, you know, one way or another. Or yes or no. Well, they do. But I think I, I, I think from what uh, everyone I've talked to sort of about what the what their goals are this summer, I think they want to get briefly below the tax line in order to get that full mid-level back and. uh and offer somebody big, big nine million dollars a year. You know, pay Rodney Hood nine million dollars a year. So I think, uh, I think that's the move. I don't know if you can just straight up do that. And um, it seems unlikely with fewer teams on the board that they wouldn't have to take back some money too. So maybe we see a move, but it could be of a variety of flavors. Go ahead, Derek. Oh no, I was going to ask you, Dan. What are you watching for? What are some of the the big signs that you are looking for to determine which way the Blazers are going to go during the off season. I mean, I, I'm part of it. You, you kind of touched on with the, the teams that the Blazers normally deal with work with what, what, what are, what are the rumors that we're hearing? What's you know, the whispers. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Are they shopping? Are they buying? Are they selling, you know, kind of who, what, when, where, why, and what the, does the timeline look like? Are they more interested in getting more young guys? Do they want a veteran? Do they want expiring money? And you're just kind of trying to just listen to all the rumors that are out there and find that little bit of smoke uh, and then kind of break it down from there. And then the thing is, then this goes to kind of a bigger deal. And I, I want to ask you about this, Mike. I, I've and we've talked about this. God knows how many times uh, everybody knows I'm not a, a proponent of the Dame CJ backcourt, not because I don't think it, that they're great players, just that it's not the best fit. But the thing that I keep getting pushback on this from after this last season, because, you know, nothing's better than looking back a few weeks ago and making that your base point for all things good. <laughs> but do you think that they've reached a point, Mike, between Dame and CJ that there's unless the a contract runs out or something serious happens that these two guys are kind of kind of just spend their careers together? Yeah, I mean, it, they made the Western Conference Finals. Um, they all, all of the things that maybe outsiders worry about. I think this run proved to the Blazers that they have a good enough roster that if things break their way in the playoffs and that's I mean, it, luck is built into this bad boy. That they'll that they can be one of the teams that competes, and maybe if the Golden State juggernaut breaks up or flattens out a little bit, uh, talent wise, maybe they're right there. So I I think just considering what happened this postseason, the the Damon CJ duo is here to stay. But I do think if they had if there had been if they had lost, you know, if, if they had lost in four or five games the first round, I do think this would have been the summer that the Blazers were finally like pushed to make that move i just think they were pushed so hard the other way after the results uh and you can debate whether those results uh are like sort of a meaningful way to make decisions or not but uh, i think that's what happened 
I've been looking kind of historically at the points in time where the Blazers made the big move. Because I think we're kind of on a precipice right now where they may be ready to do that, or at least they want to show that they're willing to do that. You know, you look back at when Buck Williams came to the team. They pushed all their chips in to bring Buck Williams on, and that made a difference to that team. Um, Still didn't win them a championship, but it got them to the finals for a couple of years. And then there was, again, when they went all in on Scottie Pippen, And what I look at this time, and it goes back to kind of goes back to the article that you wrote this week, uh, Dan, about the Blazers being in for that big trade. Mm -hmm. So I look at it's not so much breaking up Damon CJ now because they can't play together. But in terms of if the Blazers really, really want to be all in on a giant superstar like Toronto was with Kawhi the best person that they could conceivably offer would be CJ because of his talent, because of CJ's abilities and his leadership and how good he is. You know, he would be somebody another team would want and say, yes, we would love him to come to our organization because, you know, this disgruntled star doesn't like us anymore. Um, Do you see that as kind of a shift in the way people have – do you see a shift in the way people have talked about now breaking up Damon CJ? You're asking me or Dan, sorry. I was kind of aiming at Dan because he just wrote that article about – Yeah, I figured he had – Yeah, no, no, no. I I was there. I just – I I tapped my button. (laughs) (laughs) So, sorry. Um, But yeah, no, I I, I don't know if I've seen a a shift in anybody else. But it, I'm not going to change my opinion unless, you know, th- they need less to break their way. And don't get me wrong, this past season was incredible. Dame had his series and his moment. CJ had his his series and his moment. I just, there's, I just never liked the fit. So that's, that's what I always get back to. Um, and I, I think they're great together. I just think that this team can't be better. And I think individually they could be better when they were apart. Um, but, I don't know if there's necessarily a shift, but I, I think if you're going to – the reason I wrote that in that, that article as a comparison to what the Raptors are. Yeah, the Raptors are a better team. They had a little bit more to work with uh, bench-wise, whatever else. But if you're looking at about a comparison deal and if you're asking about which team would you rather have with the Blazers going forward, the one that just made the Western Conference Finals and just kind of retools a little bit, or would you – even knowing that you made the Western Conference Finals, willingly do a transformation as – vicious as what San Antonio went through because taking away your number one slash number two and DeRozan and getting a guy like Kawhi in return, an otherworldly top three, top five guy. If you're the Blazers, even knowing excess level, much like the Raptors running up against a juggernaut in, the, in a conference, would you, would you take that risk knowing that you, you, you've elevated your ceiling and for the responses that I got, you know, don't really tell one side or the other. People are still very much uh, entrenched on their, their respective sides. So I don't think there's been a, a ton of shift. Uh, I mean, have you sensed any of that, Mike? Oh, no, but I'm not plugged in. Um, at least to like um, people's, the larger fan base opinion on things. Um, Smart man. I do think, uh, hey. I, I do think, <laughs> I'm just telling the truth. I just don't, I just don't know. Like I don't, I haven't, I haven't, been um i don't know scouring the web scouring the message boards since the season ended i've been mowing my lawn like i said <laughs> i'm talking to dan the outsider <laughs> um, not you <laughs> but uh yeah dan come on fans are your lifeblood um i think the blazers would i don't think like i don't think they don't like i said i don't think they want to trade cj but if if there's like a co a Kawhi or a serious Anthony Davis type offer. It's not like they won't, they won't, they'll listen. Like they're not like, they're not hanging up the phones. There's, you know, I think fans tend to think that there's this idea of like a trade block where you just, you know, you kind of like go to the, you go to the, the certain like Slack chat room on for NBA GMs and you see like who's available. No, it's like you, you call people and say like, what are you trying to get done this summer? And if one of those people they call is David Griffin and he gets to the point where he wants to make a trade, I think they would, um, you know, hear out what, what New Orleans wants. Uh, but I don't think they're actively calling and seeing like what, you know, gauging CJ's interest or gauging the interest level for CJ because they think that they would rather tool, you know, numbers, parts, you know, five, six, seven, as opposed to one and two. Mm -hmm. 
One of the reasons I think trades the the Blazers are going to be active in the trade market too is just because it's like the most logical way with all the other constraints that they're under to add more players because they at some point have to get their roster up to at least 14 if not 15 <laughs> players and one way that they can do that with uh, you know operating under their constraints is they can trade one player out and hopefully be able to match and get two players back I mean it may come down do you think it may come down to that yeah that's certainly a possibility I think um going into the off se- this off season under the impression that this Blazers front office is going to do a bunch of stuff is a way to get um, disappointed. I think we should remember all of <laughs> the other off of, seasons, uh... <laughs> all of the other off seasons before we think that this one's going to be super active, mm-hmm. um, at least in terms of like tangible things that happen. Um, so yeah, I, I, certainly point. they're going to try to change things around, but like this, this group, um, Neil's group doesn't exactly have a long track record of like super busy Julys, mm-hmm. except for one time that they did. And here we are. <laughs> I mean, they went right out and signed Nick Stauskas. So, <laughs> yeah, they called a minimum guy, you know, four minutes after the deadline or whatever. And well, so- I, I, I picture that like uh, Moneyball when it was uh, what's his name, the uh, the catcher with no arm sitting around for the A's or waiting for a phone call, and <laughs> Stauskas is just sitting there like, I got a phone call now at this time. You know, he's sitting there like eating dinner with his family. And I love Stalin. Because he was the perfect fit. Like he he just it's just it was just a nice, nice little thing. Mike, when when you when you look at this team right now, they've they've obviously got five free agents, one restricted. Of those guys, do you think there's there's a surprise re-signing or a surprise release? Uh I think the most surprising re-signing that's probably at, at least somewhat under consideration in that building would be bringing Ennis Cantor back. I think there's an assumption that he's super gone. I think he's super gone, but um, I think the Blazers liked what he did enough that they would at least consider what his market is and not just say, Hey man, let see you later. And like immediately renounce his rights and move on. I think they'll, uh, I think they'll give Cantor a serious look. Dan, what do you think about the, which free agent is, are most likely to come back? I still think it's Hood, um, and the one guy obviously everybody overlooks is Layman, and the Blazers have the the RFA status on him. And with how restricted they are, and I, really I think how hard Layman's value kind of dropped off, like as as much as as Hood's climbed uh, towards the end of the year, Layman's fell uh, pretty closely. So they may be able to retain a, a capable wing player that knows the season or knows the season that knows the team um, for cheaper than than maybe anticipated. And I I think that is something that needs to be counted on, especially. Oh yeah. I think Layman's very, very likely to come back. Yeah. Very, very likely. Um, what do you I, I, I think it's a good price for him too. Ultimately. I think he's going to be, he's going to be a value signing. The Blazers are going to look back and go, huh, that's nice to have. Maybe they might give him $10 million. You never know. <laughs> Mike, don't put that out there, dude. You never listen. <laughs> you never know. Well, it's not. Uh, it, I I I could see one of the teams that the Blazers have um, signed their free agents. I could see one of them coming back with that, saying, "Okay, well, you really want to keep take Jake Lehman? Well, we're going to offer him twelve million dollars." We had that with Alan Crabb. Let's not do that again. I know. You'd think they'd learn their lesson. Well, I mean, they ended up ultimately getting Ennis Cantor at a point where they really, really needed Ennis Cantor. So maybe that four years ago. Um, was worth it. But um, <sighs> what are the Blazers going to do, do you think, about the fact that Nurkic is going to miss at least half of the season and he's going to miss a big chunk of the season? And that leaves Zach Collins, Myers Leonard, and Scal. So, <laughs> uh, you know, what do you think the Blazers do with regard to the center position? It is a real mystery because it would be a mistake, obviously, to invest heavily in that, you know, 35 to 50 game starter yeah with you know and the you know the future of the blazers is is has to involve zach collins there's no way this version of this team i mean maybe you get a trade away but you know what i'm saying like the this current the roster currently as it is like he has to pop for this group to work um or he has to play for another team uh so you know there's some incentive to make sure there's minutes for him uh you know Myers Leonard had one very good game and one superhuman game in Western Conference Finals um I'm not sure that 
makes him likely to play when the regular season starts and Terry Stotts is still his coach, but we will see. So, you know, who knows? Who knows? But I I think it's really risky for them. Like, that's why I say that they haven't totally, they won't let Cantor just walk out the door. They'll, they'll keep interest in them because they, the center position is so unknown. It is, it's a risky proposition. When, when you're looking at this team and kind of how you address that, how different do you think this team looks? I mean, there's, there's a there's a strong reality where the only starters there on opening night are Damon and CJ that are the same. Yeah, there's a chance for that. Um, I, I if I had to guess, I think four. Of, I mean, Nurk will be on the roster, but I, I would assume that that Chief is back. Uh, Rodney Hood may have priced himself out. Uh, there's a lot of teams with money. He's a that's he plays the weakest position in the league, which is uh, wings who can dribble, and uh, he might get paid a ton of money. Like the the Phoenix Suns might give Ronnie Hood fifty million dollars. That mm-hmm. I think that's like you have to like you have to p- consider that. Um, the sort of the big payments for guys like Rodney who just blew up. So I, I think there's a pretty good chance they look very different. Um, just just because uh. Some of their free agents are guys who contributed a bunch. I think there's a chance that the only free agent they bring back is is Alfred Camino. I think there's a chance that, um, you know, they bring back three of the five guys. Hard to tell. <laughs> like, well, I mean, your your point that, you know, if we think that there's going to be a whole bunch of uh, stuff happening is just going to may set us up for disappointment based on the past few <laughs> seasons. Um yeah, I guess there's nothing to do but wait at this point. Yeah, we'll see, you know, see if the action picks up around the draft, um, see if teams are continuing to position to sort of uh, get themselves in a spot where they can pick up uh, one of the, be hunted, you know, be in the deep waters hunting the biggest fish and see if the Blazers can sort of get involved somewhere there where it can be beneficial as a third team or, you know, whatever that, whatever that might look like. I guess timing wise, what, Need, are, are there things that needs to Dan you touched on it really briefly about certain things that would need to happen before the free agency season starts or certain things that would need to happen before um uh draft yeah it's it's order of operations i mean it's it's the same thing the the Atlanta Hawks have to, and the Nets are having to deal with right now like crab's trade isn't actually going to go through until uh the next um fiscal year for the NBA once the calendar rolls over, which I think is on the 6th of July. Um, So when when the Blazers are looking at things, in order to get that MLE, they need to be at a certain point beforehand and not, not, you know, not other transactions. So a lot of things need to happen between now and free agency starting. Um, They're going to have to move. If you're going to move a draft pick for this year, you need to move it. It needs to be a fluid situation so a a team has the flexibility to take who they want with that pick uh, or it's got to be on draft night. So you're looking at a very short window uh, with which the big decisions have to be made. And we're seeing some of the smaller or not necessarily smaller, but the uh, the teams that that are taking that on the uh, the teams that are still kind of building there, that pool is getting smaller. So it'll it'll be really interesting to see what the order of operations are for the Blazers because I think it's going to be really indicative of what they're 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 going to have to kind of signal their interest, you know, what they're going to do in free agency, because in order to get that full MLE again, you have to have it done before you go in. So we'll see a move and we'll know kind of okay, well they have the full MLE, which is you know was nine point two Mike something like that. Yeah, it's like just it's right around nine million. Okay, so you've got either nine million or we've got five point seven. Like that's. That's the difference between, you know, finding a guy that you, you want to give that full MLA to or splitting it and getting two guys for, you know, uh, five mil, which we've seen what Olshay can do with the the fringe guys on a, on a cheap deal. You know, I mean, are they sexy? Are they great? Not always, but they're, com- you know, capable players. So I think yeah, that's going to yeah, be. I mean, Nick Stauskas and Wade Baldwin turned into a dude who won them a playoff game. So, yes. and, you know, it, it's weird. There's weird things that happen when they even when they seemingly uh you know, lay a dud. There's sometimes things that help them down the road as long as they don't totally botch it. Yeah, I think that's going to kind of uh, be more so that I think than any other time in the last five years is is the what comes out of the summer. At bare minimum, you can't hurt yourself anymore because of 
all of the impending deals that are coming up. First of all, obviously, Dame Supermax, and then following that, C.J. McCollum's deal. And that, like the what that's going to do for the Blazers going forward, they need to have a, a workable palette, as it were, kind of going into that. So they, they, they've, they have to balance not falling off a cliff after our Western Conference Finals run and also not screwing it up. Uh, I think it's going to be a really, 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 really dangerous road to walk. What would well, – no, I'm not going to even go there. I was going to say what, what would be a, a satisfying free agency for you at this point? But it's too it's too early to discuss that, I think, don't you? I, I don't know if it's necessarily too early, but I mean like I, – I don't know where, where you stand on this, Mike. But I think that if they if they do – they can botch this up without really like doing a lot. Like not doing enough could be a, a problem so much so with Nurkic out – that if they screw around and if they have a slow start next season, like they, they could viably miss the playoffs um, just because of there's so much uncertainty with, with Nurkic and then what happens in, in the, in the wing group. But like the big thing for me is like, just make sure you're, you're not overextending yourself again. And it's just the, the ramifications from that, as we now know that they're, they're ridiculous. Yeah, or just screw it and never never play free agency again. Take on a bunch <laughs> more bad money and assume that your roster and a bunch of overpaid guys can get back to the Western Conference Finals, baby. Well, I'm going to go back to <laughs> dreaming about the dream scenario of the Blazers being the perfect dark horse candidate to um, be involved in a trade for Anthony Davis. You, you, just want, you just want Kevin Durant to take the league minimum, come play for Portland for a year? No, no, I don't oh. have time for Kevin Durant on this team. Okay, <laughs> I'm sure it would be wonderful. No, I, I don't, I don't know. I've just been thinking about just different. I, one of the questions as I've been watching the Warriors uh, play in the playoffs has, what do you think Boogie has done for his stock for uh, the upcoming season? The Lakers will love him. <laughs> yeah, the funniest scenario is that he resigns with the Kings, but. Um... <laughs> I mean, it just, right. it just seems uh, like he's not all the way well, you know? No. Yeah, imagine, he's obviously still that. hurt. And he yeah. just isn't, like, you know, going to be able, at least for quite a while, to do all those things that made him so special. Yeah, but also maybe he's showing that he's a good teammate and people who will buy in on the uh, the talent coming around when he's healthy and see that he's uh, maybe all the things that, stereotypes about him are untrue so maybe he's maybe he's making himself a little money back but yeah he, i mean he's a huge injury concern and he's a uh he has not been good since he was very good briefly it Do happens you want to you got any other i mean there's a lot of questions about free agency and everything yeah, no, but we kind of need to sort of no no let's, let's let's wrap this up i mean this is this is kind of like the free agency primer primer because we'll know i think more probably in the next week We'll start hearing some things around. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're ten days out from the draft. We're ten yeah. days out. It's gonna, the stuff is going to happen in these next ten days. Blazers going to have three, two or three more draft workouts, so you get to see kind of what low level prospects are coming through Portland. And it just, um, we just found out another one is coming through. And uh, uh, was it Jalen Lecheck? Um, He's coming oh. through, and that's another second round guy. So they're they're continuing to bring in. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, there's a lot of indications that it looks like they're trying to trade out of that draft pick. Um, it's we'll know that it's it's all going to happen in the next ten days. Like by draft night or by the end of draft night or whatever. I think we'll have a much clearer view of maybe what they're going to aim for this summer. So yeah. loading up on two second round picks instead of one first round pick is going to be cheaper i mean it'll still it'll still two second round picks still will be owed more than one first round pick but it's two bodies to yeah so get closer it's, to that minimum roster size i'm so yeah, stressed out about that no it, it it makes sense honestly because you have non-guaranteed money you can split things up there's there's pay scales to it you don't have to pay you know scaled amounts all the way through um there's there's a lot of things and, and really like we were talking about with the draft, like there are guys that a lot like we, uh, Steve had the, the profile on the website today of a guy named Admiral Schofield from Tennessee. who's was a kid I love. And I've heard him mocked as high as 20 and as low as, as, as 42. So, I mean, if, if you're you've got that much variance uh, from guys, you know, 
you can take those opportunities to, to pick them up late on the cheap. And I mean, like, like I said, I've had my qualms with Neil, but developing second round picks isn't exactly a problem for this franchise. <laughs> right on. Well, let's go ahead and wrap it up then. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. And yeah, um, thanks for having me. You got any things that you're working on for us to look forward to this summer or should we just, you know, Turn into Instagram to see pictures of you mowing your lawn. What's what? What do we? Uh, my Instagram is mostly yet? pictures of my cat, and oh. yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. Listen to Lockdown Blazers uh, wherever you get podcasts. Wherever you got this podcast, just also go get listen to Lockdown Blazers. How often will that be on during the summertime? I do it a couple times a week at a very minimum. So um, it could be it could be as many as five if things really heat up around the draft. But yeah, I do it twice a week. Um, the first one Mondays, usually Thursdays, but uh, sometimes scheduling and news gets in the way. So yeah, Lockdown Blazers, wherever you get it. And will you be also doing stuff for NBC Sports Northwest over the summer, or will that be kind of on hiatus until the uh, training camp and everything starts up again? Yes. <laughs> That's right what on. I'll say. Perfect. <laughs> and how can people find you? What are your what are your handles on social media? I'm on Twitter at Mike G. Rich. Um, don't follow me anywhere else. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Dan, what do you have coming up? Um stuff. I know the usual thing. Uh no, obviously we've got off day or off week, off season outsiders on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. Uh Joe Simon Chamberlain and I will be on Thursday nights. Uh, we move to 6.30, new time slot for the summertime, just make things a little bit easier for everybody else. Um, only half-hour episodes during the off-season. Um, otherwise, you can find my writing here, obviously, at Blazer's Edge. And uh, I, I may be around for the podcast here next week, perhaps not. But, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be gone for a few weeks in the summer and then probably off to Summer League, so... Hey, fun times. Yeah, we're still working out our schedule for podcasts in the summertime. We're gonna, there, there will be at least one podcast coming to the Blazer's Edge podcast feed every week during the summertime. Sometimes there will be two. Um, I've got some really fun guests coming up for the Women's Hoops and Talks podcast. And uh, also, like, if people, um, you know, have ideas about people that we should talk to who haven't been on before, I think it would be interesting to find out what's on people's mind and what they want to hear us talk about and who they like us to reach out to. Uh, you can find me at TCB Biggs on Twitter. And I think that about does it for us this week. For Dan and Mike, thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will catch you later.